Hi everyone, welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast, and now here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started. On today's episode of Training with Casey, Casey and Joseph continue talking about the concerns from the Lolita case. Take it away, Casey and Joseph. From the standpoint of what's good for Lolita. Yes, let's get back on track with Lolita. Sorry. Okay. So what do you think is for the best for Lolita? I think, in my personal opinion, and this is my personal opinion, so if anyone wants to disagree, that's totally fine. I know we all have our own opinions. Yeah, yeah, but before you beg off, Just tell us and then tell us why you think that, because you might have a very good basis. But in my opinion, she should stay in Miami and they should have a they should build a facility that doesn't involve moving her 3000 miles across the country to and cause stress on her. Yeah. Because that kind of stress, uh, the pathologist at the National Zoo used to tell us that uh, disease is 90% stress, and an animal that's been moved has a three times greater chance of getting sick or dying for an entire year compared to their cohort. And then I wonder whose hands it'll be on if that happens. Right. Like, we don't really care what your intentions are. You need to pull up to the plate, get an education, and become responsible stewards. And uh, let's talk about what they're going to do for Lolita and what the problems are. So I'm going to go to this article that I pulled up. Okay, so first of all, we already know about Keiko. And Keiko was not a success case. No, he was not. And they talk about him, uh, like they said, oh, if he'd stayed in Mexico, he might have only lived another year, a year and a half. And he was severely underweight in Mexico and so on and so forth. But... And then he had that papillomavirus. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah, if you look at his uh, at the skin lesions that he had on. Oh, I think I'm looking at him right flippers. now. Yeah, yeah, because it causes warts, right? Yeah, because it causes warts, and it was basically the result of his water not being the right temperature. Uh, and not just the right temperature. He he lived in heavily chlorinated water. And one of the problems with chlorine. And is, in one of the most polluted cities. Yeah. And chlorine will kill off certain things. But there are other things that are resistant to it. So I used to be able to name them off the top of my tongue. But like 
Um, Vibriosis is one, Salmonella, I think Arugenella, but anyway, there's like seven marine, major marine pathogens that are resistant to chlorine. So it isn't the best policy to just chlorinate the water, period. But anyway, okay, so um, let's talk about Lolita. We'll keep it to Lolita from right for right now. And they want to make her a huge sea pen that's going to be the equivalent of 15 acres. How many football fields did they say it was? I think they said three, but uh, let's see. Yeah, it's hard for me to... Okay, it says she she's 57 and they've quit featuring her at the Miami Aquarium and she's in a tank that's 80 feet by 35 feet and 20 feet. And I just want to say one thing about that. I remember talking with SeaWorld trainers and to their confusion and surprise, they would give the orcas the choice of where they wanted to be at night. And the orcas chose the smallest area. There's actually videos of, of when we had like a, because SeaWorld San Diego had 11 orcas at one point. And uh, there's a couple videos, um, but there's this one really good one where a bunch of the pod members chose the smaller back pool over yeah. the exactly. other adjacent pools. Yeah, they could have anything, and that's what they chose. So here we have people assuming that she doesn't like an 80 feet by 35 feet by uh, 20 foot deep but maybe that's her optimal. And I will tell you, I've lived in little tiny uh, houses and I've lived in big houses. And I don't want to live in a big house. In fact, we're looking at downsizing to a home that we can, you know, probably a school bus. Okay. By choice. I know people that are pilots by choice and they spend their whole life crammed into a little tiny area. I know people that are astronauts by choice. You know, it goes on and on. The amount of space you occupy is one tiny aspect of your life. And people get way too simplistic. With marine mammals, with the Marine Mammal um, Protection Act and so on, they came out with all these standards. So you had to have X amount of deck space for the animals to haul out on if you had seals or sea lions. Well, sea lions are thigmotactic. Do you know what that means? That means they live in the water and live, in, and live on land? No, it means they like to pile on top of each other. Okay, gotcha. Sorry, I'm thinking of a different term, aren't I? That's okay. You're in training. You're in training. You got to get all this stuff down. Anyway, um, so 
they would have all this very expensive unoccupied beach and they'd be on one little island all piled up on top of each other. The zoo had to provide it, but they didn't have to use it. And frankly, it probably would have been a lot better appreciated by them if we had more water features, you know, more room in the water and more things to swim around and little bays and things like that. Anyway, okay, so they said, whales are intelligent social creatures. Activists have long dreamed of returning Tokate to her family but they don't know for sure that they found the family. They think they know the family. They think they found her mom. Yeah. And how old did it? Uh, Nearly 100 years old. Now, is the mom going to remember this long lost daughter? Is the long lost daughter going to remember the mom? Because do you remember what happened to Keiko? He got rejected. Yeah, he got rejected and he was terrified of the local orcas. He did not want to go out with them. He begged to go back into the enclosure. He stayed with the boat, with the people. He's like, what did I do wrong that you guys would just dump me? You know, that's like, Dumping somebody on the streets of New York where the gangs are hanging out and they don't have any idea what's going on. So I'm really skeptical about this whole story that the matriarch of the L-Pod is her mother. And even if she is the mother, is that going to actually be, you know, a, a good thing? Is that going to be helpful to this um, whale? Now, another thing to remember is there are now only 73 Southern resident orcas. When I last, when I started paying attention to them, which was 10 to 20 years ago, 85. And they're That's now, a huge decrease. It's a huge decrease in a short amount of time. Why is it happening? Well, pollution. pollution Lack of food. Starvation. We know from the uh, pictures and the assessments that SeaWorld did that these whales are way under conditioned, way under conditioned. They like to eat the Chinook salmon, and the Chinook salmon has been dammed off. They cannot get up to their uh, native breeding grounds. So the Chinook salmon are endangered, and the resident whales are endangered. Go figure. So then it says they're going to bring her to a netted whale sanctuary, 15 acres. And it'd be the size of a couple of football fields. But she would be under around-the-clock care. That is very expensive. This is one of the things about SeaWorld and their model. They were successful in presenting marine mammals and other animals and associated merchandise and food and everything else so that they could afford the expense of taking excellent care of all these extremely expensive animals. 
fit. And they did a very good job with it. They did do. They do do. And they and also. Yes, they do do a very good job with it. Sorry, I should have said yeah, that. No, but we get it. But yeah, they're not gone. And, and let's try to keep. I mean, my idea of a good outcome is to uh, do a rising swell under SeaWorld and the other responsible marine mammal facilities and see a renaissance of their popularity. See, people, you know, it's like I'm one of the good guys. I'm one of the people that spent my life and my passion bringing people and animals together. And while I was at it, I worked at training these animals to do things that would help them to have a really excellent life, including longevity. My two gray seals both broke longevity records. Ooh, yeah. It's, See, like, and it's going to show that in human care that animals are living, if not as long but just or but longer than their wild counterparts. For example, Corky and yeah. Tokate slash Lolita. Yeah. Well, and we don't have complete records on wild populations, so we don't absolutely know everything there is to know about longevity. But I'll tell you, um, you might even find certain animals that are older in the wild, but overall, so for example, when you're looking at wildlife um, management, I had reared some squirrels from being little babies, they fell out of nests and so forth. And uh, they lived for many, many years. Do you know what the average lifespan of a squirrel is in the wild? I actually don't. You might want to... Under uh, two years. Wow. So you might find an individual that lives longer, but overall, they do not make it very long. Predators. Predators running under cars, getting sick, starving, falling out of trees, falling into pools, getting... Uh, have you ever seen the... Those videos of like where a squirrel jumps down on a dog's head. I believe so. Yeah, I actually saw that happen to my dog. And I was like, what? It was one of the little squirrels I reared. And by the way, the reason I ended up with that squirrel is because somebody had released it at the National Zoo. And it was confused. And it's running up everybody's arms and legs and finally there was this little girl visiting from south america and she'd come to washington dc to have very complicated eye surgery she was blind and she's out there putting her hands out she wants to be part of this whole squirrel experience right and i'm like okay let's get the squirrel <laughs> i could see that going nowhere good okay so a good outcome. They're they're promising a larger habitat, more natural, and um, managed care that they will take responsible for feeding her. Unlike the people that put together Keiko's situation, 
where they ran out of money and they could not afford to feed him. And oh, by the way, when you think about it, if you're going to feed Keiko and you've got to ship the fish in to some remote place and thaw it and do every other thing, that is not an easy set of logistics. Okay. And we're saying we like the larger habitat. We like the more natural, but get rid of the move. She's yes. already, she's already with dolphins. And um she's already with her human family. And she's already with her few human family, and she's dependent on the people just like Keiko was. Just like Keiko was. And you and I have literally worked directly with various animals, and we know the depth of the friendship. I have seen exotic animals save the lives of humans. When I used to work at my desk at the National Zoo or in the kitchen, the sea lions would come in and sit on my desk with me. They would just jump right up and sit down right next to me. And I'm like, really? Really? It gave you a whole new thing about keeping your desk neat, right? But I can just imagine the sea lions up there like, Hi, how yeah. are you? What are yeah. we doing today? Exactly. It's like, yeah, things are getting a little slow out there. Come on, let's go play a game. Let's go do something. And we would take them out into the public area. And for the gray seals, I used to make them snow forts. And sometimes I would lead them through the forts and the obstacles. And sometimes they would lead me. We'd put up seats outside so they could get up on the seats and look back on all the other gray seals in captivity. Or we'd take them over to look back at the wolves. That was very confusing to the wolves. So it's like, um, yeah, it was a good life. Okay, so now we had we had 13 different points that we brought up that cause us concern about Lolita's fate. And these aren't necessarily organized, so let's just go at them. So we already mentioned about the sea pen dangers in storms. They can act like a mandolin, like one of those slicer mandolins, and just shred a marine mammal. And number two, storms are more frequent and more severe. Right. That makes sense. And... Okay, we've got to come back and talk about toxins if we don't if I don't have it on the list already. Okay. Um this Lolita has been exposed to local pathogens. Everything from things that she could have picked up from the other animals, from the water, from being in chlorinated water. Um for example, at National Zoo, the uh, gray seals tended to get fungal lesions. And I don't know if they got those in the wild or not. 
but you would have to be very careful about returning them to wild population because every place they went, you know, when they were in San Diego, they were living with many different kinds of marine mammals that were not part of their natural range. And you remember what happened when seal pox erupted and how many animals died. And that's a naturally occurring pathogen. But just because it's naturally occurring on the West Coast, is it up in the gray seals normal range? You know, you really have to pay attention to all that. So she's exposed to pathogens that could infect the local orcas. And when she gets moved out there, she's going to be very stressed. So she's going to be more likely to become clinical. And just remember, she's got three times greater than normal chance of getting sick or dying for an entire year. And she's geriatric, too. And she's geriatric. And she also will probably take over 30 days just to get her blood gases back to normal. And what that is, is the ability to maintain homeostasis, you know, the correct pH level for their body. And they lose that ability for an average of over 30 days with any kind of significant stress. Okay. Number four, she doesn't know. Isn't that also why some animals go into quarantine? Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. All animals. All yeah, animals. all animals. And it's not because we think that another zoo sent us a diseased animal. It's because everybody is always carrying pathogens that you don't show clinically. So when I was working with monkeys, all the monkeys were tested for various uh, diseases that are zoonotic for people and monkeys. And my monkey carried type 2 rheovirus, which could be fatal. But guess what? It didn't come from her. She got it from the people that took care of her. It is a human disease, not a monkey disease. She didn't get sick that we ever, you know, could determine but we all, 80% of adult humans in America are carrying virus type 2. And we aren't clinical. In other words, we're not showing symptoms, but it's right. residing in our body. Did you hear that they're saying now to get shingles vaccines for sure? Because people with Alzheimer's show a much higher incidence of herpes simplex virus. Really? Yeah. So they are thinking that herpes simplex virus may be one of the causes of dementia. And you know, the amyloid plaques? Yeah. They're finding out that that is actually the body's attempt to fight the disease in the brain. Interesting. Yeah. Amyloid plaques, like they did a big study of all these people that, um, were like over 80 or over 85 or something like that. And a lot of the people that participated willed their brains to this study. And when they autopsied the brains, they would find some people had horrible plaques and no evidence of dementia. And some people had no plaques and they had dementia. Dementia is not absolutely caused by amyloid plaques 
Okay, so she doesn't know how to hunt. And in one of those articles, they hypothesized that maybe she knew how to hunt because uh, she had been, she was four years old when she was brought in to manage care. Okay, how long do orcas nurse? Do you remember? I know we're... I know it's like until the mom says, or until it depends on the Can mom. You see if you can find it. I'll write it yeah. in notes if you can find it. Okay. So even if she knew how to hunt 53 years ago, that doesn't mean she's going to be able to hunt well enough in order to feed herself, especially in an environment where the other locals are starving to death. And if she could hunt well enough, do you want her to go there and deplete the environment further so maybe she does well, but they starve to death? That's not sounding good to me. Okay, so they could nurse up to as long as two years. Okay. And then after that, then the mom can say, hey, get off yeah. and you Not are going to start hunting. Yeah. Okay. There's but some they will, of... they will still do that bumping behavior mm -hmm. to let the mom know that they're still there. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious about that because I can't remember which kind of whale it was, but I believe I was just reading that there are some that nurse for four or five years. And of course, one of the reasons that's significant is how much experience would this little whale have catching her own fish, period. Okay, so even though she comes from colder temperatures, she is not acclimated to cold temperatures at this time. And I remember when my dad went to Vietnam, he was acclimated to temperate temperatures he went to Vietnam. He was miserable. After a while, he adjusted. He came back to the U.S. He was freezing cold. We acclimate to the temperatures, but it does take us time, and it can be stressful to get there. But she is right. not. She is not ready to be in cold temperatures. At yeah, you can't at just all. take her yeah. there and drop her into it. Okay, social group, they're hypothesizing that she's going to reconnect with her mother, and they don't even know for sure that it is her mother. And we know that Keiko was terrified of the local whales. Plus, we know she's dependent on humans, and her family is human. I have done all kinds of things with exotic animals, and... When they identified, you know, like with me or with my family or whatever, they're not trying to leave to go back to the jungle or anything else. They're like, okay, are we going to go out for ice cream? I remember my monkey, I tried to arrange for dates for her, thinking that it might be important to her 
to have the contact from other monkeys. And so I did that. It was a comedy of errors because there's something about the genitalia of female monkeys that many people can't keep them straight. So they thought that these were a bunch of male monkeys. And this is at a big research place. But anyway, they were female monkeys. So my monkey was not interested in dating them. That was the first thing. And the second thing is there were some male monkeys that she met later that belonged to clients or something like that. So I uh, put them in the same room so they could socialize and stuff like that. They weren't in the same enclosure, but they could talk and so on and so forth. And my monkey was kind of like, she looked at him and she's like, where's your car? Where's your television? Like, do, do you not have anything? Well, I don't want to go with you. Yeah, she she had a different lifestyle. Okay. So we already mentioned that Lolita is geriatric. Even if she would have been great being returned to the wild, uh, she's at an age where the risk is pretty high. And you also shared that People that have worked with her and taken care of her say that she does not do well with change. That is a big deal. There's a lot of people like that as well. Okay, we already said that the possible mother is not confirmed and she's nearly 100 years old. So Keiko goes there. Let's say it is her mother. Let's say they do remember each other. You mean Lolita? Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yes, Lolita. Um, And... They have a blissful reunion, but the stress and because stress is anything that requires the animal to adapt. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing or a good thing. The stress of being reconnected with her long lost daughter causes Lolita's mother to get sick and pass. Because of the pathogens that Lolita oh, could is be the exposed path to. Could just be the stress. Could just be the fact that she's almost 100 years old, which is an outlier age for an orca. Okay. And how do we know that she's actually 100? How long have we been following this particular orca? You know, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. How did they age her? I'll tell you one way. They're going to at least estimate. So how old is an orca when they're sexually mature and able to produce babies about nine or ten so she was four years old so let's say five years because there was the gestation also and her mother had to be 10 when she was born so that's at least 15 years and it's been another 57 so added up 15 and 57, 73 years. Her mother would have to be at least 73 years old, right? You're 72, first... 73. Okay. Oh, yeah. It would be 72, wouldn't it? Yeah. Okay. Good for you. I was just going to give you a hard time because you are the young and resilient one. You should be able to do the math. Okay. And then um, if they're going to spend all this money and fish and everything else, 
you got to go to the local orcas who are starving to death, failing to reproduce, and are endangered. It's like, don't bring another whale in there that could make everybody sick and become sick herself just to do it. And decimate the whole population. Decimate. It could kill them all off. You know how realistic that is? Do you remember, did you ever read about Cahokia? Cahokia was a settlement of uh, indigenous Americans in St. Louis, Missouri area. And there were huge pyramids. And they estimate that there were between 10 and 40,000 people there. It was bigger and more thriving than London was at the time. The Europeans come in, they say hi to everybody, they go away, they come back, everybody's wiped out from the diseases that they brought over from Europe. And that happened again and again and again all over North and South America. Okay, and then finally, Lolita lacks the enzyme to cope with pollution in Puget Sound. And she's not going to be rescued from that or from jellyfish or from uh, any of the water toxins, water acidity, etc. if she's in a sea pen. Exactly. So... In short, I'm I'm not impressed. Now, I don't blame the people that bought Miami Seaquarium because they're being harassed. Miami Seaquarium has been harassed ad infinitum by these animal rights extremists who think they know how to take better care of a whale than people that actually that know actually her, know her, her. Yes. Have taken care of her successfully. Now, is it the best exhibit in the world? No, no. It's the exhibit that is her home. They didn't know back then. And that, and that she has known since she's been there. Yeah. It's like, hey, guys, what about if you supported Lolita where she is? What about if instead of doing all this litigation, if you were really sincere about wanting a better life for her and you got an education and you realize people and animals, our well-being is intertwined. We need to work to secure the well-being of the animals in our care, but also in the wild. And the animals that are in our care are important to making the contribution to the wild animals. So support it. Go out and help build the Lolita Marine Mammal Center. And there you go. Have the very best, the top of the line, you know, maybe have a sea pen that she could go into and, you know, test it. And then you're going to find out that in the first hurricane, you're going to have to somehow get Lolita inland. Right. Like, yeah. Or at least build a bigger habitat for her in Miami. Yeah. So then that way she doesn't get shipped all the way. Well, not just bigger. It's like it's becoming less and less possible to make things hurricane proof. Uh Uh-huh. So 
the people that bought it, what are they going to do? They're just endlessly wasting money to defend Lolita against these extremists that are not educated, but they got a lot of money behind them. Right. And at some point you got to go forward. And these people, if they take Lolita and just like with Keiko, she ends up dying right away. There you go. It's on their head. Exactly. I, I feel so much compassion for Lolita and for Lolita's human family. Exactly. I do too. So on your heads, people that, you know, jumping on the bandwagon, you're going to be the great animal liberators, whatever. And if you look over and over again, like remember the Katrina dolphins? Yes. They washed out to sea. And then they like were searching for their trainers and they came back into captivity and the owner of Marine Animal Productions arranged for them to uh, be homed in the, I think it was at the Atlantis Hotel, and he arranged for them all to, you know, they guaranteed to keep them all together for as long as they lived. He really wanted to take care of them. They didn't go, whoopee, now we're free, take off. They loved living with us just like we love living with them. And my otters used to get loose at the National Zoo all the time. And I didn't know it for a long time because every time I went back to see where, you know, somebody said you were out and they meet me at the gate. Hi, Casey, what are we doing today? Well, somebody said you were out, but you don't look like you're out. It's like these animals are not trying to get away. They've got a good thing and they're enjoying it and they love it. I mean, you watch exactly. These, you watch these animals and you know they come out and the people go, oh, and the animal goes, oh, that's me. And the dolphins will play the audience and make mush meat out of the trainers. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, I don't know what we can do. We're good at working with animals. I'm not good at lobbying. I'm not good at legislation. I feel like we need to get good. We need to. I know we need to get good and we need to help. Yeah. Somehow. And, and I don't know how to do it. We need some real strategic leadership that doesn't bow down and go, mea culpa, mea culpa. I should have had, you know, squid on the menu every day and lobster on friday no it's like we're all in this together we are dedicated we're trying to do the best we can for the animals we know for the people that we're serving for research for the wild animals for the wild habitats it's all part and parcel it is complicated if you really want to be part of the solution go get educated Educate yourselves, people. Yeah. You know what we need to do? We need to make a nonprofit and collect money and go do this. Okay. We'll set up together and do it. Okay. Hey, Joseph, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to do this with you. You're welcome. All right. See you soon, everybody. See you soon. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending time with us. And please 
like, share, comment. Boy, we sure do love those comments. Subscribe. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell people that tell people you don't like. If you don't think it's good, tell the people you don't like. Get them, you know, we'll torture them. Tell your dogs, tell your cats. Yeah, really, your dogs and cats, they'll learn how to do some of this stuff. Then you'll be in trouble. All right, know, everybody. Right? Thank you. You take care. Good night, Joseph. Have a good night, everyone. Bye-bye now. Hey, fans. Are you enjoying training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Covert on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Cover. Also, give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey. See you next time.